We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Hey, Buff Nation, voice of the Buffs, Mark Johnson here with another Buffs Inside Zone. Now, after taking a bit of a hiatus for the summer months, now that the calendar is flipped to September, and even though we don't have football, we're back, and just mentioning the fact that we're not at Folsom Field on Saturdays brings a uh, tear to the eye, but uh, that's for another show and another time. I hope you had a chance to see Neil Welch's piece earlier this week at cubuffs.com about one of the great Buffs offensive linemen of all time, that being Andre Gerard from CU's Big 12 title-winning team in 2001. And he was just honored on the 60th anniversary of the Dallas Cowboys franchise as one of their 60 greatest players. That's quite an honor. So it gave me a chance, uh, an excuse rather, to track down Andre, reminisce a little bit. Andre, welcome. Congratulations, boy. Uh, that The 60 greatest players in Dallas Cowboys history, that, that's quite a feather in your cap. Uh, it's quite a privilege and an honor to uh, be part of that list, and I'm so happy that I was able to um, make that list. Were you surprised a little bit at all when you think of the Dallas Cowboys and you think of that franchise, uh, America's team, and all that it's meant, and all the great players, and when you whittle it down to 60 players being on that list, did, did it even shock you a little bit? Uh, it's, it's very surprising. You know, the Cowboys have a very, very proud history, um, very proud organization, 
they've done so many great things in NFL, and to be a part of that history uh, just speaks volumes. Nine years with the Cowboys. I think you made five consecutive Pro Bowls, three-time All-Pro. Uh, you were a, just an anchor for that great offensive line they had. What, when you look back at your time with Dallas – uh, on that team and that franchise, what, what do you think of now a few years later after you've retired? Uh, great memories, great times, you know. And while you're in it, you never think about how long it's going to be. Um, but when you're done with it, you, you you hope that your time there was well spent and then that you left some type of mark there so that people can remember you by. What did you learn about the National Football League? I love asking guys that spent time there. It's, it's such a tough league. It's, it's the pinnacle of where you want to get to as a football player. But it can be brutal uh, on athletes, obviously. What, what do you think you learned about what it took to persevere and become a great player in the National Football League after all those years? I think the, the biggest thing that I learned is that there's a difference between being a professional athlete and being a professional. Mm-hmm. You know, Making it to the NFL is one thing. Being a professional at what you do is something totally different. And that comes from all of the things that you do after you do the things that are required. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I live, by, I live by a rule called the 90-10 rule. And the 90-10 rule basically says that, you know, uh, 90% of people don't want to pay the 10% price to be a professional. Right. And that 10% is all the extra things, the film study, the nutrition, keeping your body together so that you can play this game at a high level, that's the extra stuff that's required to be in that that 10%. That's an awful tough lesson for a young player to learn. And and a lot of guys who I've talked to have said that there was a veteran around them that that kind of showed them the direction. Was there somebody in your young career that kind of said, hey, young man, if you're going to make in this league, this is the direction you got to go and, and really kind of mentored you? Uh, interestingly enough, there was a, there's a story that I always like to tell, and there was a guy named Dexter Coakley, another Cowboy great, who one day um, I was talking to him about how hard the NFL was. And I was walking out of the locker room, and he told me to walk back in the locker room. Hmm. And I walked back in the locker room, and he told me to look at all the locks and ask me what I saw. And I said, I see people's clothes, how much things like that. He said, look closer. Like, I don't see it. And he said, you see a lot of people leaving their playbooks. He said, if you want to be successful, don't ever leave your playbook in your locker. Huh. And I said, okay. He said, so it's just like any other job. You take your, your playbook home, and you take 15 to 30 minutes a night, and you go over every single thing that you just learned. He said, you do that consecutively and consecutive days, and you'll find yourself noticing little details that were missed in the introduction of what was introduced to you before. And that lesson carried on for so many years because you found yourself every year relearning the information that was presented to you. And so if you knew what you had to do and what everyone else had to do around you, you were less likely to make mistakes when you were out there on the field. It's interesting you tell that story. I, I had a conversation with Todd Helton, the great Colorado Rockies baseball player one time, who I asked him about what it took to succeed at the highest level, and he said that there was doing the little things, and then he says there's a mental aspect of it. Because he said, everyone, once you get to that level, everybody's talented, obviously. And and who are the guys that can overcome the mental hurdles and the difficulty and the perseverance to succeed? Did you find that as well? Absolutely. You know, there's not a big difference between 
athletic ability from college players to NFL players. But, you know, your body goes through another maturity phase, and so it's the mental aspect of knowing where you're supposed to be. If there's a timing aspect to it, and so that aspect is where some guys can ascend, they climb to new heights, and then some guys become stagnant, and you can see it very clearly. Hmm. I'm wondering, you came from such a talented offensive line at the University of Colorado. I mean, uh, yourself, uh, our good friend Victor Rogers, Wayne Lucier, Marwan Hage, Justin Bates. I mean, you guys, that was an NFL offensive line. Did, did playing every day with those guys kind of kind of help you in that transition a little bit to the National Football League? It did. It, it did. Those guys, all of those guys are great, and they brought something uniquely different um, to the offensive line. And so being a part of a group like that, um, having to raise the bar or have the bar raised for you every day um, definitely makes you want to practice and get better. And that's one of the things that you constantly have to focus on. You have great teammates that kind of push you so that when you're playing the game on the Saturdays, that the game is much easier than it is in practice. Hey, being a, a Texas native, you're a Houston guy, uh, how did you become a Colorado Buffalo? I know you had medic options, so, so how did you end up in Boulder? Interestingly enough, um, Colorado, I tell people all the time, Colorado was the right school for me. Um, my first introduction to Colorado was actually sitting in my parents' home and turning on the TV on, I think it was a New Year's Day or New Year's Eve or night or whatever, and I turned the TV on my first introduction was the announcer saying, now, if Colorado is smart, they will not kick the ball to Rocky Ishmael. And that was my absolute <laughs> first introduction to the University of Colorado. Skip a few years, skip a few years, and that was a national championship year. Uh, skip a few years, and I turned and I'm watching college football again, and it's Colorado versus Texas A&M. Hmm. And then I want to say uh, maybe a year or so later, I'm at my high school, and of course there are a lot of coaches that come to the high school at the time uh, to check out players. And I'm walking to the field, and I see the Colorado Buffalo coaches. And I stop looking around, eyes, and I stop John Embry, and I go, a few other guys, and hey, I just saw you guys on TV. I'm like, yeah. And so it just always stuck in my mind that that was how I was introduced to them. But when I say the, the right school for me, um, the coaches did a great job in you know, sticking by the promises that they made. And I, I was brought into the school, and the coaches – some of the coaches left and some of the coaches stayed, but what they always made a point was, was that I was going to get a great education and I was going to graduate. And so on the day that I graduated from the University of Colorado, every coach that recruited me from the University of Colorado called me and, and said to me, we kept our promise. And so nice. it's just a great story. Yeah, that is a great story. And I wonder, during your time here, you obviously went through a coaching change. Which can be for you know a nineteen twenty twenty one year old young man like you said you get recruited by staff you get close to them and so you have ultimately a change here that you guys had to go through and I, I ask this question based on you know look look what college football players are dealing with right now not having a season of the Big Ten of the Pac twelve obviously uh, that can be awful tough for a young man can it the, the the adversity you're going through and then kind of having the rug pulled out from underneath you that's a challenge for athletes isn't it. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you can definitely get comfortable and you get used to uh, getting treated a certain way, um, spoken to a certain way with a certain coaching staff, and then another staff comes in and there's a lot of, uh, I mean, unsure moments. 
and you're very uncomfortable. But I found that the greatest form of growth is during those uncomfortable moments. Mm. And uh, Gary Barnett did a great job coming in here right after Rick Malazzo. Yeah, that's a tough transition. Um, You guys ultimately were able to kind of turn things and that great 2001 season here at the University of Colorado. You know, Andre, I've been here now. This is going into my 17th season. And, you know, we always talk about 1990. We always talk about 94. And that 01 team has kind of risen into that conversation about the great teams in Colorado history. Go back and explain to Buff Nation out there how you can take a program that went 3-8 and eight in 2000 and make it a 10-3 and three team and a team that contended for the national championship in, in 2001. How does that happen? Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that the year that we went 3-8, and eight, I think we lost six of the eight games by seven points or less. Hmm. So we had, we had a good team that played a very hard schedule, um, and we were very competitive. So the 3-8 and eight record kind of doesn't really get depth into what we really were. Um, I think a lot of guys made their mind up, and they didn't want to repeat that season. We had a lot of guys graduating the following year, so going into that next year and um, winning those games, you know, we pulled together as a team. Uh, one of the, the biggest accomplishments that we had was we had a, uh, I guess, a replica of Texas Stadium. And every team that we beat in the Big 12, we would take their emblem and put it on the uh, trophy case. Kind of like a roadmap to the Big 12. Yeah. And we didn't know it at the time, but each time, we, every game we went to, we brought that trophy or that case with us. But that served as a reminder of the great things that we expected from each other to reach the next level. And so I think that, that trophy is actually in, at the University of Colorado now, but it was, it was something given to us by one of the coaches, and we took it on, and it became the driving force behind us reaching the next level. Sure. And so there were expectations because of, I mentioned the guys in the offensive line and, you know, the running backs you had and Chris Brown and Bobby Purify. And yet you guys started out with a loss to start the season at Fresno State. Kind of take us back to the locker room after losing to the Bulldogs and thinking, well, what in the world just happened to us right here? Uh, well, we didn't really know too much about the Bulldogs. Uh, we didn't know we didn't know and we didn't, uh, we didn't have any idea of how tough they really were. We just knew they were a great opponent. And so we knew that we were in that game, but we made some mistakes. And those mistakes that we made and accompanied, compounded with how great they were playing that day, you know, wanted up with us with a loss. And so we made a decision after that game, tough loss, to bounce back and fight. And so Coach Barnett talked about the message of return to dominance. He never yeah. said that the road was going to be easy. And he always had this thing called the RTD, which was the return to dominance. And so we kept focusing on that, and we just kept building on it. You know, just one game at a time. And so by the time we got a chance to play Nebraska, um, we had we had done so many practices, we had spent so many hours, and we could visually see ourselves winning the game against Nebraska, even though the year before we had a chance to beat them, and we lost. And it just took off from there. And so all those games and those practices and that mental preparation, uh, it, it was just a really an accomplishment of all the guys putting together, seeing, you know, knowing that they could play much better than what they thought they could. And we really fought our way back from that loss and wound up winning the Big 12 that year. 
you know, that, that's a great transition. You bring up Nebraska. And, and I love to tell the story. Uh, when I got here, Andre, in, in 2004, I was walking into the locker room one day, and, and Coach Barnett was walking out, and the door shuts behind him, and I said, hey, Coach, what, what's, the, what's the combination? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, 62-36. I thought everyone knew that. And, and it kind of struck me as the new guy in the block at that time, what that game meant. I, I'm wondering uh, how often, if you run into Colorado fans, does that 62-36, any questions, come up? Because it, it lives in Colorado lore, no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, it was one of the biggest games I've ever played in my life. Huh. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, I think uh, maybe a year or two ago, I actually got the chance to watch the TV copy of the game on YouTube. Mm. And to watch the game and to hear the crowd and to hear stories about how <clears throat> the echoes of the stadium were heard two towns over, <laughs> because it, it was something that I wish every Colorado fan could experience. Um you know, you, if, as you're watching the TV copy, the announcers are saying, yes, if you've gotten up to go get something from the kitchen, this is not a, a misprint. It is 28 to nothing. We've never expected anything like this. This is ridiculous. So it was just a group of guys that refused to lose. It was our last game at the University of Colorado, and we wanted to make it something special. And I think everyone on that field pulled together, and they poured out every ounce of energy that they had to create something that would be memorable. And so running into fans, sometimes guys, sometimes fans will, will bring the, that, that memory up about that game and what it meant to them because we hadn't beaten them in so many years. And it was, it was almost magical just to be there. It, I really wish every fan that's going to the squad out now could experience that, just the, the rush, the excitement, the, the electricity and the atmosphere of, what that game meant to so many people at the university. You know, when you think about that time, and it's been said that that, that was a turning point for that Nebraska program because it's never quite been the same, but at that time they were looked at as being the big boys in the block. Let's be honest about it. And what Colorado did that day, and in particular you guys on that offensive front, uh, Chris Brown is 198 rushing yards. Bobby Purify had a buck 54. You guys ran for almost 400 yards against Nebraska. We talked with Marwan Hage a while back, and, and he said there was a moment in that game when he realized that Nebraska's defensive front was giving up. Like, like they just were beaten out there. Do, do you remember having a moment like that where you thought, yeah, these guys don't want any of this anymore? Uh, it. I think Marwan's right. I think it came somewhere probably in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started playing us in a goal line front, and we made some adjustments here and there, and it really was just five guys against five guys, and these guys just kept blocking harder and longer. And you could see them try, you know, kind of root away after so much of the <clears throat> the pounding. And you're not, you're not even paying attention to the score. You're just more of doing your job as an offensive lineman. But it just seemed as if the runs kept getting bigger and bigger and, and the running backs kept running harder and harder. And, you know, of course, Chris Brown had a historic day because he had, touchdown, he had six touchdowns. But Bob Griff, I had a historic day. He had, at one point, he had four rushes for 89 yards. Right. And so you, you just had running back after running back coming in the game, giving the offensive line energy and running the hardest. And the final result of that was just, as I said before, was, was a, 
a, a great accomplishment to everyone who played that game, who left it all on the line. So you guys have that huge win over Nebraska, 62-36, and then you got to turn around and play the Big 12 title game against a Texas team that had, had beaten the Buffs pretty soundly at Austin back on the 20th of October, 41-7. to How do you make that from an emotional win like that, that quick turnaround to take on a Texas team that, that had your number early in the season? Uh, or or was, were the Buffs just on a mission at that point in time and it was just uh, next up and, and we're going to take care of business? How, how did you guys look at that Big 12 title game? Well, of course, turning around and playing a tough opponent like Texas a week later was going to be a challenge. I think that we, we had come from expanding ourselves so much emotionally uh, playing against the University of Nebraska, but I think one of the messages that was set, uh, that came through on our bulletin boards was the fact that Matt Brown said, I guess you have to beat the same team twice. Hmm. And we knew in our hearts that we didn't give our best efforts against the University of Texas that day. I think they had some turnovers. For whatever reason, we just did not play our best. But we knew that given the opportunity to play them again in the Big 12 championship, that the game was going to be a different outcome. And so everyone hopped down, everyone focused, you know, with finals and everything happening that week, and we went into the Big 12 championship knowing that it was going to be quite a different outcome given the chance, and we played up to those expectations that we held on ourselves. Yeah, a great day for the University of Colorado. Hey, Audrey, I don't know how uh, close you pay attention to college football, but you, you know the transition the Buffs have gone through with Mel Tucker leaving after only one season. Carl Durrell has got great history here at Colorado coming in. but uh, And I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with Carl during your NFL career, but just give us a thought on, on you know the Buffs program and, and Carl now having his hands tied a little bit with what's going on. I know college football this fall, but uh, does having Carl Durrell here give you a little optimistic feel about this program and where, where things can go? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Carl was a part of the staff that originally recruited me to the University of Colorado, so I had some time with him while I was at the university. And, you know, crossing paths and, you know, shaking his hand while he was coaching in the NFL, but uh hope nothing but the best for him. He's, he's seen the other side. He's been around the game for a very long time. He knows what it takes for guys to get to the next level. Um, he's recently sent me an email congratulating me on my accomplishments and and I think that he's going to do a great job for the university. I think that it'll definitely give these guys some fuel. I, I hate the fact that they're not playing, I guess, this fall, but I understand the the, the, the things that the Pac-12 want to do to keep you know people safe, so I definitely respect that. But I think moving forward, uh, Carl will give this, this program the needed jump that they need to push to the next level. Hey, bring fans up to date. Now, I know you're still living in Dallas, but uh, bring us up to date. What's keeping you busy, and uh, what are you doing right now? Oh, man, um, well, I just finished a coaching internship but for the last three years. I was yeah. coaching for the Dallas Cowboys on the defensive line side, which a lot of fans would try to shrug and try to figure out why are you coaching defensive line. So um, I just kind of looked at it as um, an interesting challenge. Uh, you got a chance. I got a chance to teach those guys the things that offensive linemen are trying to do to manipulate the defensive line. And it went well. So um, currently just um, doing some training with some guys for the upcoming combine, and then hopefully next year I'll be back at it, or it could happen this year, back at coaching at the NFL level. I just wanted to pay back to a game that I love and respect and see these guys, you know, do – 
those guys what the game of football has done for me. I had a player one time tell me that uh, who got into coaching, he said, Co- uh, playing football is incredibly demanding. Coaching football is crazy. When did you think that you might want to uh, try the coaching uh, side of things? Um, I was working at a high school here in Dallas, and I, I met a, a, man, a gentleman named Scott Natty. Great, great guy. Uh-huh. And Scott Natty uh, had me in his office, I was, and I wanted to go and talk to him about training some of his high school offensive linemen. And we were supposed to have a 30-minute meeting. And the meeting went for three and a half hours. <laughs> and, and at that moment, I was like, well, what just happened? And he told me during our meeting, he said, hey, Andrew, let me tell you something. He said, there is no greater drug ever created than teaching someone how to do something, hmm. coaching them on it, and then watching them use what you've taught them to do for success. He said, I promise you, it's very addictive. And so, as crazy as it sounds, when you, you, you teach and you coach a player, because all coaches are teachers, and you, you, you work with them so that they can have success in what they're doing, and then you watch them just enjoy themselves playing the game with everything you've taught them, it makes you want to pour yourself out again and again. Hmm. And I often thank those players for the opportunity uh, to pour into their lives just a little bit. And that's what keeps you going in coaching. It's that, it's that aspect of making a difference in each guy that you run across, trying to help them reach their best. You may not know what their best is, but as long as you're accompanying and allowing them to reach their best and you're doing everything to help push them in that direction, it, the, the thank you is not even needed. It, it keeps you driving. Um, on I mean, for years to go. And I think that's where the comment comes from when people make the comment of, you have to be crazy to coach. You have to be crazy <laughs> because the, um, the amount of hours it takes to, to put together a game plan would make some fans call us, well, would really make some fans think that we need to be in a hospital somewhere. <laughs> but to watch these guys go out on a Sunday, and after everything you've taught them and watched them have success at what you've taught them to do, makes it all worth it. I'd have to imagine you you having that epiphany about what coaching is, probably in hindsight has given you a greater understanding and appreciation for the guys that coached you that maybe you didn't get when you were nineteen or twenty years old. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've I've had um, I've had some great coaches, and I think I was uh, talking to one of my friends here probably about a week ago. And we're just talking through some of the coaches that uh, kind of were, were very much of a challenge to me growing up. But I can say now I'm so thankful that I've run into those gentlemen because they've helped me push through some of the limitations that I would have put on myself as a young man. And so uh, a great coach may not see his results today or tomorrow, but years from now when you have a tough coach that really poured into your life, you remember the lessons that they've taught you. Hmm. Well, I tell you what, congratulations on that. The, the world needs more good men pouring into young men, and uh, that is outstanding work. Good luck with that. It's been great catching up with you, Andre. And, and once again, congratulations on that list of 60 greatest Cowboys. So thank you very much.
Great to catch up with the great Andre Girard, a phenomenal offensive lineman for the Buffs, three-year starter, 99-01. In fact, he was a first-team All-American in 2001 on that Big 12 championship team in 01 as they knocked off the Texas Longhorns. Was a second-round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys. Had nine incredible years where with Dallas. And once again, on his 60th anniversary, the franchise has been named as one of the top 60 players in Dallas Cowboys history. Always great to catch up with the great Buff. It's great to have the inside zone back on Voice of the Buffs, Mark Johnson, thanks for joining us this week on the Buffs Inside Zone. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.